This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for April 11th, 2018. In this episode, Facebook is letting users know if their data was shared with Cambridge Analytica. We'll tell you how to find out if you've been affected. Cloudflare's new DNS service was announced on April 1st, but it's no joke. Plus, Apple's latest updates to its operating systems come with additional privacy notifications. And the 2019 Mac Pro will reportedly include some revolutionary design. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Breaking news, this just in. Facebook just announced a few minutes before we started recording that they have launched a section of their help center that will tell you if your data has been shared with this company, Cambridge Analytica. Now, just before we met on Skype here to record the podcast, I went to this help page and the section was my information shared says, based on our available records, neither you nor your friends logged into This Is Your Digital Life. As a result, it doesn't appear your Facebook information was shared with Cambridge Analytica by This Is Your Digital Life. And then Josh went to Facebook. Yeah. So this page starts out sounding pretty okay. Based on our investigation, you don't appear to have logged into This Is Your Digital Life with Facebook before we removed it from our platform in 2015. However, a friend of yours did log in, and they don't name names, unfortunately, because I'd really like to unfriend that person, whoever it is. <laughs> And it says, as a result, the following information was likely shared with This Is Your Digital Life. Your public profile, which that's okay, I don't care about that, because uh, I've chosen what I want to have on my public profile. My page likes, mm, okay. So that, that shows them what you're interested in. Yeah. That, that you've liked, say, Lost, the TV series, or Robert Johnson's music. Yeah, well, I, and everyone knows that I like Lost, and, and so that's not a big deal, but... Uh, and then my birthday and my current city. Well, I'm not living in that city anymore, but my birthday doesn't change. And that's definitely, definitely qualifies as personally identifiable information, my birthday. Uh, it's not something that I put out there in public for every website. So we'll have a link in the show notes. If you click this link to the Facebook help page, it will give you this information. Drop us some comments on the podcast page and let us know if your information has been shared. Because remember, initially, it seemed that Cambridge Analytica had information on 50 million people. Then Facebook came out and said it was 87 million people. And I think just yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday, another company has been implicated in harvesting information in the same way. And Facebook, can they do anything right when it comes to privacy? <laughs> well, we've known about this for a long time. Come on, we've often talked about the privacy implications of Facebook and Twitter and other websites and, and other social media services. The problem with this is that it goes far beyond anything that we could have expected. We've always been worried about being tracked online. Some friends on Twitter were talking the other day. Someone bought a toilet seat from Amazon, and then he's getting emails from Amazon with other toilet seats to buy, as if he's a toilet seat fetishist. And we're used to our our habits being tracked and seeing ads for something we just looked at or bought on the Internet. But we're not used to this sort of data collection 
uh, of the information that we didn't voluntarily give up, and especially because you didn't give it up. A friend of yours did, an anonymous, unnamed friend. Well, it wasn't so much that they intentionally gave it up as just they didn't have their privacy settings set right. And so, uh, you know, and they just joined, you know, or added this random app that they probably didn't really need for any reason. I, I don't, uh, you know, this is your digital life. Why would somebody add that? That sounds like a really terrible app. <laughs> As I understand, it was some sort of a personality test. And you've seen all these things, yeah, you yeah. know, which Star Wars character are you? And you answer a bunch of questions. And people do this because they're working in a cubicle someplace and they're bored and they have to spend time doing something else. And they do it for a little bit of amusement. That's great, but don't do that on Facebook. You just said, though, that they didn't have their privacy settings set up right. That's incorrect. They were set up the way Facebook wanted them to be set up. They were set up with the default settings. And that's the problem. I'll, I'll link in the show notes to an article on the Intego Max Security blog that explains how to change these settings. There's an article you spotted last week on Wired that says that changing these privacy settings doesn't do anything because Facebook sort of turned off this feature a while ago. But I think Facebook has been saying, well, it does do things and it's not entirely turned off. So I think it's a good idea for everyone to look into this, to check these settings, to see if you are the next potential person who can share information about your friends. Right. Yeah. And that Wired article that you mentioned, when we talked previously, we were talking about the setting in the privacy section called Apps Others Use. And the quote from a Facebook spokesperson that's uh, in this Wired article says, these controls were built before we made significant changes to how developers build apps on Facebook. At the time, the apps others used functionality allowed people to control when information could be shared to developers. We changed our systems years ago so that people could not share friends' information with developers unless each friend also had explicitly granted permission to the developer. So they're basically saying, oh yeah, that whole thing, um, yeah, we kind of left those checkboxes there, but they don't really do anything anymore. They did at some point. Well, which is kind of suspicious, right? Why would they leave all those options there if they don't serve any purpose? Well, it's uh, yeah, and it could just be that, I mean, people think of Facebook probably, a lot of people think of Facebook as a small company. I mean, how big could it really be? It's just a social network, right? They must have, what, like 100 employees? Well, actually, Facebook is a huge, huge company now. And so it's certainly possible that maybe there wasn't some good communication going on there between who was developing the web UI, you know, for that particular page and who was actually controlling the privacy settings. It's possible. I mean, it's plausible. I'll put it that way. I find it hard to believe. I mean, I've seen some Apple features where settings aren't updated, but it's pretty rare. Something on Facebook where there has to be a large team responsible for the, the settings page, right? The user settings page. And I mean, there are a lot of settings, but there aren't that many that, that a single person couldn't check to see if they're all necessary. Because the last thing they want is to have too many settings because then people will criticize them for obfuscating all the privacy features. I would still recommend that people go in and check out their settings because regardless of whether Facebook says that, you know, these settings matter or not, it's still a good idea to go through. And if, if you haven't recently gone through your Facebook privacy settings to check them out. So in other privacy news, a few days ago, a company called Cloudflare announced a new DNS service that is available to the general public. This is called 1.1.1.1. And okay, if the name sounds strange, we're going to explain in just a minute. And the goal of this is to not only be the fastest DNS service for individuals, but also an extremely private DNS service. 
Josh, walk us through that, because I think for the average listener, there are a lot of things in there that they don't understand. Yeah, well, as we've mentioned before, DNS is the thing that if you type into go.com into your browser, it automatically behind the scenes translates that into the actual address of the website. The numerical IP address. So the, the idea is that DNS can leak potentially private information about you. So anytime that your computer or whatever other device you use is looking up a domain, that lookup is getting tracked by your DNS server. So by default, most people just get their DNS um, IP addresses automatically. This is just a default setting that when you get an IP address from your internet service provider, that's which is how what you need in order to get online, they also give you their DNS servers. That's what your your computer, your router, your your mobile device will use by default. So the process is you're sitting in front of your Mac and you type an address into Safari. Safari sends a request over the network to whatever it knows to be the local DNS server. Now, in most cases, it's the router that you've gotten from your ISP, your cable company, whatever it is. And as you say, it's just the default. And that's going to get bounced to your ISP's DNS server. The difference here is that you can usurp that DNS server. You can replace it with any DNS server you want. And so for for many years, there have been um, some other alternative DNS providers. There's OpenDNS, which is now uh, owned by Cisco. Google has has its own public DNS IP addresses. Of course, you know, do you trust Google with potentially private information? And then recently there was another uh, one that was that's called Quad9 that got launched, and that's 9.9.9.9. And then Cloudflare on April 1st, which was, it sounded like a joke. And, and this almost sounded like a joke, but it turns out that Cloudflare really did launch. And the reason they chose April 1st is because four ones, 1.1.1.1, April 1st. So that's why they chose to launch it that day. So Cloudflare is a company that does two types of things. One is that they provide DNS services for businesses. And the other is that they provide caching services. So you may have a website that uses Cloudflare to prevent people coming to your site to be constantly hitting your server. They act as a sort of intermediary. So Cloudflare calls this a consumer DNS service. Why would a business want to pay for a DNS service? Well, I, I guess the short answer is speed and reliability. So as far as why they decided to launch the service, they claim that it goes back to Cloudflare's mission of making sure that the internet is better and more secure and more reliable and more efficient for everyone. They say it sounds cheesy, but it's true. It sounds really, really hokey. And it's like, okay, what are they really hoping to accomplish with this? Because they have to have a business reason for it. My, my thinking is that if what they're saying is true and they really have this altruistic idea and they're just doing this to help others, if that's really what's going on here, that's great. And, and maybe the reason then that that they're really doing this is to kind of build their brand recognition. Maybe that's really the secret behind this. Right. I, I see two reasons. The first is to, to do something that's going to get a lot of attention for the company. But I think there's probably another reason that if they're able to have a central DNS system that's tracking how many requests there are, and I'm not saying they're tracking who's requesting what, they're just tracking traffic. This probably helps them shape their content delivery system a little bit better. So if they know that there's a lot of traffic in a certain area at a certain time, 
they may be able to use this to regulate some of their load balancing systems to move the traffic from one node of their content delivery network to another. So it could just be a way for them to see, well, this is just what the basic internet traffic is right now. And there's a whole lot of traffic here. So we need our servers in this country or this area to be more active. They probably get that information already because they're a content delivery network. But maybe this is another data point that they can use to you know, help improve their other systems. So from the privacy and security perspective, privacy is mainly that you're trusting Cloudflare more than you trust your internet service provider. Cloudflare says that they're not going to be logging uh, you know, or maintaining logs of all of the DNS requests that your computer or your network is using. You know, basically, if, if they got a government request or whatever, or if somebody hacked their servers, they wouldn't be able to obtain logs and find out where you had been on the Internet. As far as uh, security goes, they've got some protocols that they're implementing, including DNS over TLS, uh, DNS over HTTPS. Um, these are some kind of up and coming standards that not everybody has necessarily adopted yet, but the idea is that they're implementing all of these standards that they can in order to make it more secure going forward. So once browsers, for example, support the DNS over HTTPS standard, then they've, they're already supporting it. And so if you're currently using their IP addresses, then you'll already be able to take advantage of those new security features. So I turned this on pretty quickly and it's, you know, it's really hard to tell if it's faster because they're on, on the webpage that we'll link to in the show notes, they're measuring the speed in milliseconds. They're saying it's 20 some odd milliseconds compared to Google, which is like 33 milliseconds. And, and we don't notice that that's the blink of an eye. But in some cases, if you have a web page that's calling a lot of resources from different websites, so the main page, images, fonts that might be hosted someplace, JavaScripts that might be hosted someplace, it probably can make a little bit of a difference. So this is a pretty simple change to make. On the Mac, go to System Preferences, then Network. Select the network you're connected to, and this is the one that's going to have the little green dot next to it. Click the Advanced button, then click the DNS tab, in the DNS server section, click plus and type 1.1.1.1. Then click plus again and type 1.0.0.1. They use the two DNS servers. One is a fallback for the first one. If you're on an iOS device, go to settings Wi-Fi. Tap the I icon to the right of the Wi-Fi. Go down to configure DNS. Tap manual and then do the same thing. Add these two servers 1.1.1.1 and 1.0.0.1. I'll link to an article that I've written for the Intego Max security blog, and there'll be screenshots to help walk you through the process. In other news, we've set up a survey, and we'd like to get some information about our listeners. Fill out the survey, and you'll have a chance to win a $100 Visa gift card, and you'll be helping us to understand what you want to hear on this podcast. We got a listener email from Mark, who's been listening to the podcast for a while, and he says he can't find the notes to the podcast. Well, the notes are going to either show up in the app that you're listening to the podcast on. So that could be Apple's Podcasts app or iTunes or I use Overcast or there's Instacast and there's other apps. And you can also find them on the Intego podcast website at podcast.intego.com, where on the main page, you'll have a link to each episode and you click on that link and you'll find all the show notes for the episode. Coming up, Apple's newest privacy features when the Intego Mac podcast continues. As a security-conscious Mac user, one of the first things you probably install on a new Mac is security software from Intego. 
You probably tell your friends and family to do so as well. And here's something else you can tell them. Now's the perfect opportunity for first-time Intego users to get 60% savings on award-winning Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a full suite of outstanding Intego software and includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, probably in home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Intego, download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today and then use the promo code Intego Podcast to save 60% at checkout. That's Intego Podcast to save 60% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Secure. This offer will be ending soon, so don't wait much longer. Save 60% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 or Mac Washing Machine Secure X9 or Mac Internet Security X9. Just use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Intego. Devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Percent on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. This offer will be ending soon, so don't wait much longer. Save 60% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 or Mac Washing Machine Secure X9 or Mac Internet Security X9. Just use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Intego. Devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. In last week's episode, we talked about how Apple had updated all their operating systems, and iOS 11.3 and macOS 10.13.4 have some new privacy features. Yeah, that's right. And if you've already updated your operating system, you'll notice because they would have put something right in your face saying data and privacy. There's a new screen after you update your OS that says, and this is um, a a little bit from the iOS 11.3 screen, there's a little icon that it shows at the top uh, of two people shaking hands, and it says data and privacy. It says this icon appears when an Apple feature asks to use your personal information. You won't see this with every feature since Apple collects this information only when needed to enable features, secure services, or personalize your experience. Apple believes privacy is a fundamental human right, so every Apple product is designed to minimize the collection and use of your data, use on-device processing whenever possible, and provide transparency and control over your information. In Twitter lingo, that's called a subtweet. When you tweet something and it's subtly criticizing another company, like perhaps that other social media company we mentioned earlier. And it is interesting, the timing of this, too, because this all comes out after the the whole, you know, uh, Cambridge Analytica thing. Well, they'd obviously been planning this for a while. Oh, sure. This isn't absolutely they, they can't drop a feature like that in at the last minute. No, absolutely true. I thought this was worth mentioning because I think this is a really good move on Apple's part to make it a little bit more transparent what exactly they're using of the information that you're providing based on your settings. Have you seen this icon show up? I'm not sure if I've actually seen it in a settings dialog box yet, though. Is it supposed to be in settings? Is it supposed to be in the menu bar or the status bar? It's not very clear. 
To me, it looks like a menu bar icon. You know, the way the location services, little arrow shows up in the menu bar or the status bar of an iOS device. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I don't know that I've actually seen it in, in exactly that context. I've seen the alerts about it and gen the general alerts, but I'm not sure if I've actually seen. Well, if any listeners have seen this, drop us a comment on the show page and tell us where you've seen it. Maybe which app caused this to display. So in other Apple news, Apple is yet again delaying a major product. Do you remember when the what we affectionately call the Trash Can Mac Pro came out? Apple had said this was, what, 2016. They said this will be released before the end of the year, and I think they said it in January. And I think it was actually they sold three units on December 29th to get them out before the end of the year, but then it wasn't for months that it was widely available. So Apple came out about a year ago and explained why they couldn't update this round trash can Mac Pro because they were hindered by the ability to fit modern video cards in it, which were larger and had more heat that needed to be evacuated. And a couple of days ago, they came out and they invited a journalist, Matthew Panzerino from TechCrunch to go to Apple. And they told him about next year's Mac Pro, not the Mac Pro they had promised for 2018, but the one that has now slipped to 2019. I know you're not a pro computer guy, right? Well, I, kind of, yeah. I, I, I do have a, a Mac Pro that I, I use occasionally. It's not my personal property or anything like that, but but I, I do know somebody who uses a Mac Pro who needs support for it. And uh, yeah, they actually purchased this in 2014, um, which is really still basically the, the latest version. They did come out with a... Uh, in April 2017, they cut the price on it, but it wasn't it wasn't really a major revision. The last time that Apple really had a major revision on the Mac Pro was December 2013. And here we are in 2018 now. Oh, right. I was off by a couple years when I said that. Yeah, it was December 2013. I bought one in June of 2013 and I really liked it. But I only kept it for about six months because then in October, Apple released the Retina iMac, the 5K Retina iMac. And the only display that they had available for the Mac Pro was the old Thunderbolt display, which is a not Retina, B, extremely hot. I remember that I wouldn't have to turn the heat on in my office in winter when that display was working. So I got rid of the Mac Pro. I sold it fairly quickly. I loved that computer. It was sleek and quiet. And I, and I don't need a Pro computer. But it was the kind of thing that was, you know, it's just cool to have that on your desk. It wasn't as ridiculously expensive as the iMac Pro is today. So I, I, I certainly could afford it. But th today we have only one option for a true Pro computer. That's the $5,000 iMac Pro. And what they're talking about for the forthcoming Mac Pro is kind of interesting. We'll link to this TechCrunch article in the show notes. Apple has apparently been working with professionals who've been coming to the company, who've been working on software so Apple can see what they do and how they do it. And they're saying that they're looking at workflows. So you you have this data, you need to import it, you need to act on it, you need to save it, et cetera. And they want to see exactly what people are doing. And they're saying that they're really looking for what are the bottlenecks, what are the pain points, how we can improve things. And I think this is a very interesting way to design a computer, much more so than saying, Here's the parts that we can put in it, and this is what it's going to look like. Yeah. Well, one could also look at this as a bunch of hand-waving and kind of <laughs> saying, yeah, I know we kind of implied that we would be coming out with a new Mac Pro this year, but uh, yeah, it's coming next year. So if you want to buy stuff, um, 
still do, yeah, just buy the iMac Pro instead of the Mac Pro. What what I find annoying is that they still sell the Mac Pro at the same price. You mentioned that they dropped the price a little bit a couple of years ago, but they're still selling a 2014 computer at, I guess, a 2016 price. Yeah, yeah, that, that bothers me too. And I mean, I really want a professional you know, quality Mac. I, I want something that's got at least 32 gigs of RAM. I mean, come on, Apple. And I can't do that unless I spend $5,000 on an iMac Pro. Are you kidding me? Well, can't you put 32 in a 27-inch iMac? I'm pretty sure you can. I just sold my 27-inch iMac and I bought a new 21-inch. I wanted to downsize. I didn't need the large screen. And I had 24 gigabytes in my previous iMac. So I'm pretty sure you can put 32. But I think the limit is 32. You can't go up to 64. Not that I do anything that needs that. I mean, I'm not a pro computer user. I write. I do some screencasting. So that's video. I do photo editing. And, and that's the limit of what I do. This said, if they were selling the trash can Mac Pro today for two thousand dollars, I'll bet they'd sell a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I mean, this this is definitely going to be a good thing for Apple when they finally do release a new Mac Pro next year. How how big of a thing is it? I mean, to be honest, I don't really think that the the Mac Pro is going to even make a dent really in Apple's you know overall profits or anything like that. But they, they do want people to know that this is something that they're working on. Well, what's interesting is that they're they're talking about taking a, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, a modular approach to this computer. People have complained for years about Apple computers not being easily upgradable. If you remember the, the cheese grater Mac Pro that came out in 2006, which was the, the modification of the earlier G5 tower, that aluminum tower, you could open the side, you could slide disks in and out. You could slide cards in and out. It was really easily upgradable. Of course, it was quite large. It was a tall tower. Um, it was a bit noisy. And man, it gave up a lot of heat. I had one of those for three years. Yeah, I, I love that kind of design. It's practical if you do need to change things around. But of course, most people don't. But what's changed now is Thunderbolt 3 and the bandwidth that it has. So they're talking about a modular approach. And they haven't given too many hints about this. But one of the things that is in the macOS 10.13.4 upgrade is the support for eGPUs or external graphics processors. Now, what these are is these are little boxes that you connect to your computer. And if the operating system supports it, it can offload the graphics processing to this external graphics card, which in most cases, the idea is that it's a lot faster than what you have in your computer. So you could even use, let's say, a MacBook Pro with one of these eGPU units to control two or three displays, something that the MacBook Pro couldn't do on its own. Now, if they're making a modular Mac Pro that has, let's say, just minimum graphics internally on a chip, that means that anyone will be able to get a graphics card and plug it into the computer. And, and if you think further down the line, you can already plug storage into it, are they going to release a Mac Pro with no storage or maybe just, you know, a 256 gigabyte SSD for the operating system and you'd put all your storage on an external device? On the one hand, that starts to get messy. You've got cables all over the place. But on the other hand, it's much more easily expandable than it was opening that cheese grater Mac Pro and slipping cards in and out. 
Yeah, it's a fair point. I, I do like the idea of being able to plug all these things into the super fast Thunderbolt 3 port. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, why why do you need to cram out everything inside if, um, you know, if you can just plug something in and have it work just as well? One of the problems with these eGPUs, if you look online, I'll link in the show notes to an Apple support page that talks about which models macOS supports. Look up some of these online and look how big they are. They're massive. They have these huge fans that look like car headlights. They probably make a fair amount of noise. These are really designed for 3D games and augmented reality and, and all that. Now, if you do need to drive two 5K monitors and you're editing video and with real-time rendering, then obviously you need something like this. I, th I think for you and me, with the type of use we have, it's probably not ideal. But I was talking to a friend the other day and saying, so I have this new 21.5-inch iMac, and its graphics card is not great. The only times that I really need more graphic speed is, say, when I'm editing photos. I'd like it to be a little faster. If I could spend like $100 for a small graphics card that I could connect to the back that would kick in when the computer needs the faster graphics, I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to get an eGPU that's 100 bucks, but... Well, I don't <laughs> see why not. The thing is, today the eGPU market is only for high-end graphics cards, and some of these things are $1,000 or more. Yeah. But there's no reason why, if we're going to shift in this direction, that there would be less expensive graphics cards. I mean, imagine that you want something that can run two monitors from a laptop. You don't need a really complex graphics card to do that, but you may not have it in your laptop already. So think of this as a sort of adapter between your laptop and the two displays that you want to connect. It would also handle the internal graphics when you need it, because most of these boxes, they have one connector for the Thunderbolt cable from the Mac to the box, and then they have two or three connectors going out to different displays. So it can work either as a device that does the graphics processing for the computer it's connected to, or the device that does the graphics processing and then sends it to external displays. So the other big earth-shattering news from Apple today is you can now buy a product red iPhone. You gonna get one, Josh? Probably not, because it's only the, the iPhone 8. And, and at this point, I'm, we're close enough to September. I don't know, it's half a year away. But I mean, we're, we're, we're close enough that I think I'm just going to wait until the next gen, you know, maybe iPhone 10 uh, successor, if there if there is one in September. I think that part of the reason that Apple made the announcement when they did is because it's mid product cycle and they're just trying to, you know, get a few few more sales in the in right in the middle of the cycle. But um, you know, I, I think Product Red is a is a great thing. And of course the, the idea behind Product Red is that it helps provide testing, counseling, and treatment for tens of millions of people living with HIV and AIDS. So it's it's a good cause. Um I the only product red product that I that I own is uh, a case for for my iPhone 6s. It's the standard Apple case, but it's just red. I have two smart covers for iPads that are red. I have a red Apple watch band and I have a red iPod shuffle. That gets a lot of use these days. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be surprised. Frankly, I don't really care about a red iPhone because I have a red case on my iPhone and since I always put a case on my iPhone, I don't care what color it is. As long as the front bezel is black, I don't like white. Yes. Um, I don't care what color it is. Yeah, I, I'm I'm that way too. I can't stand the white face. And, and I know a lot of people really like it, but I'm like, no, no, no. I want the nice seamless, you know, like the same color across the whole thing. Well, the, the white is too distracting. To me it is, um, yeah. Because it, 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 particularly on an, on an iPad, I have a, a 
what is it, a 10.5-inch iPad Pro, and I watch videos on it sometimes. And if you're trying to watch a movie with a white bezel around it, it's like a bright light shining at you when it gets dark on the screen. Some show news. Starting next week, we'll be releasing the podcast on Fridays instead of on Wednesdays. So if you're used to looking for us in your favorite podcast app on Wednesday morning when you get up, you'll just have to wait two more days for one week and just get used to listening to us on Fridays or over the weekend when you have some free time, you're mowing the lawn or sitting around the barbecue or whatever. <laughs> Until then, Josh, stay secure. Stay secure, Kirk. Remember, you can save 60% on Intego software by using the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Hurry, the 60% savings offer will be ending soon. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Be sure to get every episode by subscribing at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Links to the topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at intego.com slash podcasts. The Intego website is also where to find details on Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.